Sunderance, Brother Bob here again. So I'm back. Got a lot of stuff going on. Got some uh, Bible studies going on. I'm doing some other work. I'm doing some other uh, computer work for some ministry stuff. So I'm a busy guy, busy guy. But anyways, I'm back. Now for a few of you, that's good news. But a lot of you don't like that. You just don't like Brother Bob. He's out there telling us all this stuff about the Bible that we should know or we should learn. He's he's trying to teach us over and over again how wrong we are about what we believe. He's trying to encourage the remnant believers to stay faithful and stay true to the Word. He's trying He's trying to share some basic stuff that anybody who's a born-again believer past the third grade spiritually should be able to understand. And yet, a lot of people don't want to accept what I share with them. What a sad testimony to the lack of faithfulness. They're in a lot of God's people these days. They love to play church. They love to play denomination. They love to please their church buddies and their church friends and their family members, but they just don't want to get into the scriptures and learn the truth and then obey it. So again, I'm going to share this because whenever I use the words believer, Christian follower, brethren, brother, sister, children of God, I'm using it as a title for people who profess to be born again because they believe in the free gift gospel of Yeshua Christ. So this is going to be part 14 on a biblical journey through the book of the Acts of the Apostles. And again, before I get started, allow me to vent biblically a little bit. And I share this a lot. Lord's put this on my mind years ago, and it's just, it's a sad, it's sad that I have to keep sharing this over and over again. But I see, I read on Facebook, I see on the internet, I see different social sites, I hear teachings and sermons, and it just amazes me how many people who profess to be born-again believers, Bible teachers or Bible scholars, totally screw up the names of our Heavenly Father and of our Savior. Brethren, I promise you at the judgment seat of Christ, our Savior's not going to give us a, a word of praise because we got along with each other and we, we learned to compromise biblical truth so that we could fit into the church denominational thing or so that we could be buddy buddies with each other in church without having to really discuss truth. Yeshua Christ is going to determine how well we did according to the truths of scriptures. Not what we want the truths to be or not what we wish they were be, but what the truths of scriptures truly are. And if you don't know them, you're going to look like an idiot when you sit there. And Yeshua Christ is going to say you've been a believer, whatever your name is, for 20, 30 years, and you didn't know this simple stuff? What were you doing for 20, 30 years? So anyways, I think it's an absolute shame that God's people, a people who should know better, don't know the mighty, holy, and powerful names of either their Heavenly Father or their Savior. Now, I get it. A lot of you don't have a clue what your father's real name is or what the Savior's real name is because you're not taught that. And that's a that's a knock on the shepherds who aren't doing their homework. And I know a lot of you sincerely think that your Savior's name is Jesus and your father's name is Lord. Both of those are lies. May the Lord be gracious with you people who don't know the truth. But there's a lot of you in the church of the living God who know the truth. You've been told these things over and over again, and you ignore them. Again, it's going to be a sad day for you at the, at the judgment seat of Christ. Brethren, the English words Lord or God or Heavenly Father are titles, not the names for God. Our Heavenly Father gave us his name in the Bible, and his name is Yahweh. And it's critical to understand that it's not possible to translate or transliterate the Hebrew name of God, Yahweh, into any other language. That means it should have stayed Yahweh even in our English Bibles. Again, I share this quite often. It's amazing. We manage to keep the Hebrew name Satan in our English Bibles, but we screwed up the Hebrew name for our Heavenly Father. 
Unfortunately, the people who call themselves Bible scholars and or Bible teachers in the church have compromised the written word of God and inserted the fake name Lord, again, which is not a name but a title for a Heavenly Father's biblical name, Yahweh. Isn't that a sad testimony to lack of faithfulness that we see amongst those people who we in the church identify as defenders of God's truths? Also, the word Jehovah. It's not a biblical name for Yahweh. The word Jehovah, just like the word Jesus, is a made-up name. So that means that anything in the Bible that is used in place of the original Hebrew name for God, again, which is Yahweh, like Lord, Master, Redeemer, Holy One, etc., 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 was knowingly added to the Scriptures in order to corrupt God's Word. Now, who you think would be the number one creature in this spiritual realm who would love to see God's Word corrupt? Yeah, you're right, Satan. Also, the words Messiah, Christ, Lord, King, Redeemer, etc., etc., are not the Savior's name. They are titles for the Savior. The Savior's biblical name is Yeshua. And Yeshua is also a name, a Hebrew name, that cannot be translated or transliterated into any other language. So the Hebrew name of our Savior, Yeshua, should have stayed Yeshua in our English Bibles. Again, we can have the debate if it's supposed to be Yeshua or Yahshua, but there's no debate. It's not supposed to be Jesus. The word Jesus is not and never was the biblical name for the Savior. In fact, the fake name Jesus didn't even appear in the Bible until the 1600s. The name that was given to God's Son by Yahweh, who is the Savior's Father, is Yeshua. So again, anything in the Bible that is used in place of the original Hebrew name for our Savior, which is Yeshua, like Lord, Master, Redeemer, King, Anointed One, etc., etc., was knowingly added to the Scriptures in order to purposely corrupt God's Word. Here's a side note. Now, besides a lot of biblically spineless and biblically cowardly shepherds, I believe that the main architect behind the biblical corruption of our Heavenly Father and our Savior's biblical names is Satan himself. Satan has persistently pursued his dream to see as much of God's Word as possible get corrupted, and he's been doing that since the days of Adam and Eve. So in all my podcasts and Bible teachings, I choose to use the biblical name for our Heavenly Father, which is Yahweh, and the biblical name for his son, which he gave him, which is Yeshua. And once again, be prepared to hear biblical truths that you have never been taught before. That's not a break, it's simply a fact. So at the end of part 13, we once again heard the Apostle Peter logically but bluntly explaining to the Jews who came to hear him speak, explain to them why Yeshua Christ, the one who they had murdered, was their prophesied Messiah. Unfortunately, Unlike the first two times that Peter did this with some other Jews, and where we saw many Jews become Yeshua believers, this third time, Peter was cut off. So in our first stop in part 14 of our biblical journey through the book of Acts, we get off on Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. As Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Yeshua's resurrection from the dead. And the Jewish religious leaders laid hands on Peter and Paul and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. Now again, I changed the pronouns to their proper nouns for clarification reasons. If I were to read this without putting the proper nouns in there, we'd get all kinds of thems and theys and he's and whatever. So I just made it easier. Now, most of these Jewish religious leaders had heard this story that Peter was sharing before. 
Most, if not all, the temple guards and Sadducees and other religious leaders already knew all about the real resurrection of Yeshua Christ. Remember, the Jewish religious leaders had tried to tried their best to cover up Christ's resurrection. And they knew that their cover-up attempt was a scam. So let's go back to the book of Matthew and look at that scam. So it says in Matthew 27, verse 62, The next day on the Sabbath, the leading priests and Pharisees went to see Pilate. They told Pilate, Sir, we remember what that deceiver once said while he was still alive. They're talking about Yeshua Christ, what he had said. After three days, I will rise from the dead. So we request that you seal a tomb until the third day. This will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and then telling everyone he was raised from the dead. If that happens, we'll be worse off than we were at first. So Pilate replied, take guards, secure it the best you can. So they sealed the tomb and posted guards to protect it. Now after the guards are posted at the sealed tomb where Yeshua Christ is buried, We have the whole story of Mary coming to the tomb early Sunday morning, which would have been just about 6 o'clock a.m. Remember, the Jewish day started at 6 a.m., so she would have got there at 6.01, only to find out that the large stone is already rolled away from the entrance of the tomb, and Yeshua Christ's body is not in the tomb. And again, for any of you believers who really care about truth, Yeshua Christ told us it'd be three days and three nights that he would be dead. There's no way you get three days and three nights out of a Friday afternoon death and a Sunday morning resurrection. But I know, again, a lot of, a lot of believers living in spiritual la-la land, believing whatever they're told. So then we jump ahead to Matthew 28, verse 11, and it says, As the women were on their way to tell the apostles that the body of Christ is gone, some of the guards who had been guarding the tomb went into the city and told the leading priest what had happened. And what these guards were going to tell the priests is that, hey, the tomb's empty. Stones rolled away. The seals broke. Uh, we don't really know what happened here. I mean, I, I think the Lord just dazzled and razzled their eyeballs, but uh, these, uh, these soldiers don't have a clue what happened, so they go back to tell the religious leaders. So Matthew twenty-eight twelve says, A meeting with the elders was called, and he decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, You must say Yeshua's disciples came during the night while we were sleeping and they stole his body. So these Jewish religious leaders say in verse 14, If the governor hears about the fact that the body of Yeshua is missing, we'll stand up for you. And we'll tell Pilate that the body was stolen so you won't get in any trouble. Now, my thoughts are if these guards had not taken this bribe, they would have gotten into seriously dead trouble. And I mean dead, because these Roman guards who were guarding his tomb, if they would have reported that the body was stolen and they didn't know about it or know how it happened, they would have died. They would have been killed, executed. So they were willing to take this bribe from the Jewish religious leaders if it saved them their butts. So it says in Matthew twenty-eight fifteen. so the guards accepted the bribe and said what they were told to say. And their story spread widely among the Jews and is still held today. See, we even had fake news back then. So if we go back to Acts chapter 4, where Peter's preaching, the word gets out that there's somebody out there sharing the story that Yeshua Christ really raised up from the dead and his body wasn't stolen. So these Jewish religious leaders are going to squelch that preaching of Peter and lock him up. These Jewish religious leaders don't want anybody out there exposing their scam that Christ didn't rise from the dead, his body was stolen. So once these corrupt Jewish religious leaders arrest Peter and John, they throw them in jail, not really knowing what to do with them right now. They're probably thinking out of sight, out of mind. 
So here we see a little persecution of the church beginning to get started. It's just a little bit. It's not too bad. It's going to get worse, but here's a little persecution going on. But tough times are coming. But until that happens, good news. A lot of Jews are still repenting of their unbelief about Yeshua Christ and accepting him as their prophesied Messiah. So it says in Acts 4.4, after Peter and John were arrested, many of those Jews who had heard the message that Peter preached believed in Yeshua, and the number of Jewish men came to about 5,000. So the Yeshua revival events continue to happen. Many Jews who believed in the God of the Bible, but who had rejected their promised Messiah, were now repenting, i.e. changing their minds about Yeshua Christ, and were now believing in him. So it says in Acts chapter 4, verses 5 through 10, On the next day their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas the high priest was there, and Cephas and John and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. When they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, By what power or what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Yeshua Christ the Nazarene, the one who you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands before you in good health. Now the cream of the crop of Jewish religious leaders are here to hear Peter speak his mind. And once again, Peter hammers home the point that it was you Jewish leaders who murdered the innocent man, your prophesied Messiah, Yeshua Christ. Remember, he said, Yeshua Christ, whom you crucified. Peter was getting really good at sharing that with these Jews. Speaking the truth in love isn't about brown-nosing people. It's about telling people what they need to hear and not what they want to hear. So Peter doesn't just answer these Jewish religious leaders' question about where they got the power to heal this lame man. Peter reminds these religious leaders that the power to heal this man came from the prophesied Messiah, Yeshua Christ, whom you think is dead and gone and is still alive. And then Peter, with some inspiration from the Holy Spirit, gives us some scriptures from the Old Testament that most believers today are quite familiar with. Acts chapter 4, 11 and 12. Yeshua Christ is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, or who were supposed to be the builders, has become the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. I believe Peter is rebuking these Jews. The only people who God Almighty gave his holy and sacred writings to were the Jewish people. And because of their ignorance of scriptures, Peter's rebuking them. Peter is telling these Jews you should have known through a knowledge of those sacred and holy Old Testament writings that nearly in the entire Old Testament scriptures are about or built around the prophesied Redeemer, Savior God, who is going to come to establish his kingdom on earth. And all those Old Testament types that represented the coming Messianic Savior were missed by you biblically blind religious fools. Peter is also saying you Jewish religious leaders who had Yahweh's sacred and holy writings should have seen that those Old Testament prophecies clearly revealed that when the prophesied Redeemer Messiah came the first time, he would have to die and be resurrected. These keepers of God's sacred writings should have seen these things, and yet they rejected the very Messiah who was going to establish the nation of Israel as God's sacred and holy people. 
So Peter's implying that you Jews rejected or ignored all that Old Testament information and chose instead to do what your fleshly mind told you to do. Again, these words, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved totally and completely and eliminates the worldview that no matter what religious system or no matter what religious path or no matter what you believe, we're all on the same road to heaven. It's just not true. Now let me interject a thought. I believe that Peter is giving the world new revelation when he says this. And I say that because in the Old Testament, a lot of people were saved or got saved without ever hearing the name Yeshua. Yeshua didn't exist in the Old Testament. So I believe that what Peter is teaching is that from this time forward, if you are someone who isn't already saved, the only way to get saved will be through faith in Yeshua Christ. It's no longer going to be good enough to simply believe in a coming Redeemer God. Yahweh God is telling the world from this day forward, anyone who is not saved must go through my son Yeshua if you want to be saved from hell. And to this very day, those words of Peter infuriate religious people all over the world. A lot of people, a lot of religious people say, oh, you're God so narrow-minded. Yes, he is narrow-minded. He's God. He can do what he wants. He says what he wants. And he's telling you, you blind religious fool, that if you want to be saved from hell, you need to put your faith and trust in my son. So it says in Acts 4.13, Now as the Jewish religious leaders observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Yeshua before. Duh. The brains of these Jewish religious leaders is beginning to recall just who and where they had seen Peter and John before. These Jewish religious leaders, now recognizing who is speaking these profound and powerful words, are just a couple of uneducated fishermen from Galilee. There's some great verses in the Bible relating to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24 through 29. But to those who God called to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of any human strength. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose those things of the world that the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And God chose the things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. And Yahweh chose the things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Now, the good Lord's not saying that smart people can't get saved or that, or that he can't use smart people. But for the most part, people who think they're smart and wise don't think they need the Lord in their life. And they'll look for things besides the Lord to satisfy themselves. And when they step into eternity, they'll realize just how unwise they were to reject Yeshua Christ as their Savior and their only hope of salvation. So it says in Acts 4.14, And seeing the man who had been healed standing right there with Peter and John, they had nothing to say in reply. Well, that's a first. These religious leaders are at a loss for words. So it says in Acts 4.15 and 16, But when the Jewish religious leaders had ordered Peter and John to leave the council meeting, they began to confer with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it, you think? But sadly, they will not only eventually deny it, they will do everything in their power to try to shut these apostles down. Now, if you're not living your life in Stupidville, 
you walk away from the miraculous thing that Peter has done, realizing that this Yeshua-believing Apostle Peter must be the real deal. Unfortunately, a lot of people, instead of choosing to live in Realville, choose instead to live in Stupidville or Selfishville or Blindville. And one of the key requirements for living and surviving in Stupidville is to spend your days behaving stupidly. So it says in Acts 4.17, So that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn Peter and John no longer to speak to anyone using this name Yeshua. It says in Acts 4.18, And when the Jewish religious leaders had summoned Peter and John, the Jewish religious leaders commanded Peter and John not to speak or teach at all in the name of Yeshua. It says in Acts 4.19 and 20, But Peter and John answered and said to these Jewish religious leaders, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. If the church today had more shepherds with the boldness of believers like Peter or John or Jude or James or Paul, I believe the church would be powerful today instead of being powerless wimpy and weak like it is. So in Acts 4, 21 and 22, it said, when the Jewish religious leaders had threatened Peter and John further, they decided to let Peter and John go because they couldn't find a basis on which to punish them. And a little bit had to do with the fact that it says on account of the people, they didn't want to punish them because the Jews who had seen or heard about Peter healing the layman were all glorifying God for what Peter had done. For the man who was healed was more than 40 years old. So it's like we're not dealing with somebody who's a child here. So yeah, it's kind of obvious that we're going to have to just let this one go. So even though these Jewish religious leaders were very corrupt and biblically blind, they were smart enough to see that the people loved what Peter had done when he healed this lame man. So they thought it best, the Jewish religious leaders thought it best for now to let Peter and John go on their merry way. It says in Acts 4.23, when they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priest and the elders had said to them. So after Peter and John tell the brethren what they had been through, the brethren lift up a prayer of praise and worship to their heavenly Father. So in Acts chapter 4, verses 20 through through 30, we see a pretty amazing prayer, a lot of great words in here. And when they heard this, when the brethren heard this, they lifted their voices to Yahweh in one accord and said, O Yahweh, it is you who made the heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against Yahweh and against his Christ. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Yeshua, whom you appointed and anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord Yahweh, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence, while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Yeshua. Again, those are beautiful words of praise and worship. And it says in Acts 4.31, and when the brethren had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Once again, notice the power that the Spirit of Yahweh displays when you're in a room full of spirit-filled believers. It says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. It's critical that you see that these believers didn't get some kind of mystical, mysterious second movement or second manifestation of the Holy Spirit. 
being filled of the Spirit of Yahweh simply means that you're allowing or letting the Holy Spirit have complete control of your life. These verses simply reveal that a room full of believers who are genuinely choosing to be filled by the Holy Spirit is a force to be seen. Also notice, as with Acts chapter 2, miraculous evidence of the presence of the power of God in a person's life was that God's people immediately began to speak the truths of scriptures with boldness. They went out. They went out and shared the wonders of God with unsaved people or people who didn't know Yeshua Christ as your Savior. Now, sadly, diehard tonguers are going to try to convince you that these believers were speaking in a tongue when they were boldly speaking the wonders of God. Don't listen to them. The verse says they spoke the Logos word of God with boldness. Logos means that they spoke in their native Hebrew language using intelligent, logical Logos words. So Acts chapter 4 closes up with some good stuff too. It says, And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to them was their own property, but all things were common property amongst the believers. And in verse 433 is a little parenthetical. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of Lord Yeshua, and abundant grace was upon them all. And in Acts 4, 34 and 35, for there was not a needy person among them. For all the believers who were owners of land or houses would sell that stuff and bring the proceeds of those sales and lay them at the apostles' feet. And they would be distributed to each as there was a need. Not a want, a need. Now I've shared this before. It was critical and essential that these new Jewish Yeshua believers help each other out. Because becoming a Yeshua believer as a Jew pretty much meant that your normal life, which would have existed as an Old Testament thinking, believing Jew, was over. Becoming a Yeshua believer meant that your Jewish family and friends were going to disown you. As a, as a Yeshua believing Jew, you probably got fired from your job and most likely kicked out of your home. And if you were married to a Jew, your spouse probably divorced you. So it's a good thing that these new Yeshua believers were helping each other out because they were like a unique group of weird believers. They were like no longer believing in the Old Testament Jewish ways and they didn't really have a clear understanding on what was coming on the road. And so there was a small clique of these people in the Jewish family who had accepted Yeshua Christ as their Savior. So they were kind of like an island by themselves. And so they needed each other. Uh, praise the Lord that there was a some among them Jewish believers who had money and extra stuff and they sold their stuff and they helped each other out. That's how the church should be running today. And Acts chapter 4 closes out with verses 36 and 37. Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So here's what we call again a parenthetical. Out of the blue, Joseph, a.k.a. Barnabas, gets his name recorded in the annals of the scripture. Now his real name would have been Yosef. Uh, the Hebrew language doesn't have a letter J. That's why Jesus and Jehovah are fake names. But both Joseph, or Yosef, which is Hebrew, and Barnabas, which is Greek, were very common names. So we're not sure if this is the same Barnabas who later on in Acts becomes Paul's missionary partner. Could be, might be, I'd be speculating, but I don't know, I'm not too sure. So we're going to close up right there again. Your true friend in Christ, Brother Bob, stay in the Word. Keep your eyes open. A lot of false teachings, a lot of a lot of believers being misled, just like Yeshua Christ said the end times would be. So the only way you're going to separate biblical truth from biblical lies is to know your scriptures.